0: Thank you for reading those texts, Alan. I felt it feels bad making you read such hard texts, or anybody for that matter. But in those days, after that suffering, that's how our text begins. But it was worse in the verses previous. The, all that suffering is things to do with how terrible it would be for the terrible things to happen in winter, or if you were pregnant. There will be suffering such as never been seen before since the beginning of the world. That's how the text goes in the verses previous. This is a text about the end of the world. So, why do we have it in Advent? Why does the first Sunday of Advent, which, if you know about the way the church operates all across the world, this is the beginning of the church year? This is the season of expectant waiting. We will lead into the Christmas period and then into Epiphany and then into all the other parts of the life of the church. So why do we begin with a story about the end of the world? Why do we begin every Advent like this? This year we're reading Mark. Last year it was Luke. And then it's Matthew. And they all have a bit like this. And this is always the bit that the group that put together the lectionary, the way we read the Bible in pieces throughout the year, They always choose this reading. Aren't we supposed to be waiting expectantly for the coming of the Christ child? Why a story about the end of the world? Well, because Christmas is a story about the end of the world. In Luke's Gospel, the story we will read on Christmas Day, angels come and speak to a bunch of shepherds and they say this, Here is good news of great joy for all the people. Good news, the Greek is the word euangelion and it's the word that would begin all announcements about the, the, the Roman Empire would make to the people of the empire. And if the empire is at least one third slaves, possibly as much as half the empire is made up of people enslaved, When the empire made an announcement that began euangelion, or good news, you could bet your life it wasn't going to be good news if you were a slave. It was going to be good news if you were the 1% who were in charge of everything, but not necessarily for the people at the bottom. It's a bit like getting a a letter from Centrelink if you're on a pension or unemployment benefits. You think it's hardly ever going to be good news, It's hardly ever going to be, oh, we've just figured out, we've underpaid you. Here's a couple of thousand bucks that we owe you. It's rarely ever that, is it? So if you hear the words euangelion in the first century, even if it's pronounced by an angel from God, your first thought might not be, woohoo. It might be, oh no, what's happening now? But see, this is good news for all the people. Not for the 1%, not for the rich, not for the famous, but for everybody. That's the end of the world. That's the end of the world of Rome and the end of the world of control. It's the end of the world for anyone who wants to lord it over anyone else, for anyone who's superior to anyone else, for anyone who's better educated than anyone else, for anyone who's richer than anyone else, for anyone who's the right gender. Why is the right form of sexuality? It's the end of the world for those people. It's the end of the world of domination and the beginning of a different world. It's good news, but a different kind of good news, and it's because it's for all the people. That's what we're going to hear on Christmas Day. That's why I think we have an Advent reading that tells us about the end of the world. Because the new world that is coming is also going to be an empire. Jesus tended to call it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. But it's another way of running the world, and it's a way of running the world that will be for all people. So we have this text. Now, it's called apocalyptic writing, which is a technical term that describes a kind of style of writing that people in the first century would have been used to hearing. There's a book in the Hebrew Scriptures that for these people was the Scriptures that they had We have it too, but we also have what we call the New Testament. And it's a book called the Book of Daniel. And it's written in this high style of extraordinary events happening all the time. It's a kind of style of writing that reminds you that, oh, this is the style of thing we're listening to now. For example, let me me read you a text. April is the cruelest month breeding lilacs out of the dead land mixing memory and desire stirring dull roots with spring rain that's what do we do with the text like that but if I were to tell you beforehand that that's a piece of poetry it's the opening of one of the most famous poems of the 20th century the wasteland by t s Eliot. if you already know that you're about to listen to poetry then you turn your brain slightly differently if you went to an event and it was, it was told to you beforehand, this is going to be comedy, you would expect, to, you hope, that you will find something funny and you'll laugh. You kind of tune your brain to a certain way of thinking about what you're going to hear. T.S. Eliot's work is full of illusions of death and destruction. But because it's poetry, you know it's not directed. It's metaphoric. It's opening it up. And that's what apocalyptic writing is. It is about the end of the world. And of course the people for whom this was first written had already experienced the end of the world, the destruction of Jerusalem, the holy city, the centre of the world had been destroyed, completely destroyed, and all the people had been banished. It was the end of the world. So was the sack of Rome. So was the fall of Constantinople. So was the Black Death. So was the so-called discovery of the Americas for the native peoples. So was the Irish potato famine. So was the First World War, the Armenian Genocide and the Holocaust. We have had the end of the world. And of course, the end of the world is coming for all of us. The end of my world is coming when I die. You will all, if you're still alive, you will all keep going on as if the world hasn't ended, and yet it will have for me. Some of you might remember me, my people who love me will, but it will be the end. So also, Jesus says, when you see these things taking place, you know that it is near at the very gates. Now some people have taken apocalyptic writing and tried to figure out, and there's another whole section of apocalyptic writing in the New Testament called the Revelation, the Book of Revelation, and some people have tried to take it and figure out what all the signs are pointing to. This is going to happen, and then that will happen, and then this will happen, and it'll all happen in ten years, in hundred years, and whenever. But the point of apocalyptic writing is not so you can figure out what will happen, but to remind you that it will happen. Apocalyptic writing is to remind us about the reality of the world. In seven billion years, the heat death of the sun will mean our part of the universe will completely disappear, as far as we can figure out. That shouldn't bother much of many of us because you know seven billion years seems quite a long way away. But in a lot less time than that, I'll be gone. So will all of you. The point of apocalyptic writing is to remind us of that. Now, some people say, Well, we don't want to be reminded of that. I just want to live my life as if I will never die and I will never get sick. And what's the point of living a fantasy when you can live in reality? Advent is always about expectant waiting for the coming. It's the coming of Jesus into the world as a baby. That's the story that we portray here in our little creation, our little nativity. It's the story we will tell ourselves in lots of different ways in the Christmas period. But it's also about the end of the world, the coming end of the world. There's lots of stories in the New Testament that give us the clue that there will come a moment when none of this as we currently have it will be existing the way we understand it. It will be an end. Now whether that's an end for everyone all at once, we know it certainly is an end for each of us individually. Our own death is, if you like, at the very gates. The call to keep awake is the call, in this text, is the call to remember that truth, to live with all its apocalyptic reality and all of its cosmic order. That's the fig tree. Fig trees just do that. They produce leaves, they produce fruit, Then the fruit falls, then the tree is dormant, then it produces leaves, then it produces fruit. That is the cosmic nature of the world. To be awake is to refuse to live the fantasy that the way the world is now, for my life, will be the way it always is. We expected Ashley to be here playing music today and he expected to be too, until an hour ago or an hour and a half ago. We can't expect the world to remain the same as it always is. We have to know how to live in it as it really is. Keeping awake is staying alive to that truth. And that truth may come at any moment, that end of the world. But it's also the truth that this is the way the world is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a cycle. You're not supposed to live forever, apparently. And you won't. And no one you love ever has or ever will. That's the reminder of this text. It's not much fun, but it does invite us to live this moment fully alive, to be awake. Because if you're awake, you know what's going on. When you're asleep, you're unconscious. You haven't got a clue as to what's happening in the world. But when you're awake, you see the world as it really is. You see the beauty of the day as well as the pain of it. You see the joy of the life that stretches before you, as well as the fact that it could be much shorter than you wish. It is a strange reading to have on the first Sunday of Advent. But then again, it's not. It's inviting us to tell ourselves the truth. To live with each other in truth. That's why we gather together in worship. That's why we confess every Sunday in a prayer. To remind ourselves that we need to do this, that we need to be real about our lives. And to remind ourselves that there's forgiveness. All day, every day, any day, regardless of who we are, what we're doing, what we haven't done that we should have done. Forgiveness is a gift given to us. And it comes, as it will, in a little while, Four weeks, it will come in the most surprising, tiniest way. We tell it in the life of a baby. So welcome to Advent.